Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, digital agency owners and podcast listeners. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you currently stressed out, cash crunched, or fed up with your business? If you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem, or maybe that it's the area you live in, or maybe this market has become too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around, and I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now that it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who comes to you saying they need a website or Facebook ads or maybe a mobile app developed, but they don't even realize the deeper challenge or opportunity that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a YouGurus strategy call where we'll dig into those underlying issues and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your strategy call. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start your application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. All right, let's introduce today's guest. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we are hanging out with Dave Schiff, from Made Agency. And Dave is actually one of our main keynote speakers of our upcoming U Summit event, September 28th, 29th, and 30th. Dave is one of our anchor speakers speaking on day three about his experience growing his agency. Uh, Dave started his career at Crispin Porter Bogusky, where he engineered the Coca-Cola company's most successful new product launch in 25 years, the Coke Zero campaign. He led Under Armour's fast break into basketball. Uh, Dave has also helped lift uh, the ride-sharing service, triple their rides, transformed Berkshire Clayton, uh, Berkshire Hathaway's Clayton Homes um, from a value brand to an arbiter of modern design. Um, he's worked on... Uh, companies like Firefox and, and all sorts of other stuff. We're going to talk more about that here in a second. Uh, Dave, welcome to the program. Thank you. I, I do want to say that seemed like an impressive set of credentials, but I want your listeners to know I'm vulnerable right now. And I'm going to tell you, this is all about transparency. As far as I'm concerned, this particular interaction bet between you and I, I had a colonoscopy yesterday. That's already too much information, not only for you, but everyone else listening. The reason I'm telling you that, listen, I'm a, I'm a little fragile right now. To me, that is very similar to a Bill Cosby type dynamic. You are rendered unconscious. Things happen that you would rather not happen. And then you come to. I've just been through that. It's only been 24 hours. So if, if I'm a little off, I expect some leniency from your listeners. I I, uh, I might need a moment to collect myself. I uh, I appreciate that that Dave. Um, what the, what what just what just happened is is one of the reasons that we're so excited to have you uh, speaking here at U Summit in in literally like two weeks. Um, when this airs, actually, it'll be be like a week. So uh, so I'm I'm happy that you're vulnerable today. I think that puts us in a really good uh, 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 you know power structure between you and myself. Uh, 
before we get too far into the vulnerability, and I don't know if we'll have to come back to the colonoscopy or not. I kind of hope we don't. Um, but can you paint us a quick picture of your agency as it stands today? Yeah, you know, and maybe just to go back a little bit and, and give you a, a, a very short version of our trajectory. We launched in 2012 as an integrated shop. And so that's traditional advertising, but also a significant amount of digital work, not just I'm not talking about display banners and things like that. I'm talking about building tech platforms, tools, utilities, et cetera. And we went on a rocket ride. We were three guys in a coffee shop when we started literally working inside of a coffee shop. The first call we got was, hey, you know what? We uh, we want to come down and meet you guys at your office. And we said, you know, what? maybe we should just do coffee. It'll be more laid back. You know, and then, of course, that was because that was the office. And we went from that to uh, over 60 people in three years. And we were working and continue to work on national brands uh, that are doing international work in some cases. Um, but, you know, at year three, we hit some headwinds and there, and there are, you know, uh, headwinds in our industry that are, I think, well documented. And we have gone from that, that uh, structure of about 60 folks down to about half of that. Um, we continue to succeed. Um, there are ups and downs, but part of the reason that I mentioned transparency uh, up front is, look, I've done a bunch of these kinds of, of, of speaking gigs or, or engagements or podcasts or, and, and generally, you know, and I'm just being very honest, the agenda for someone like myself is A, to convey some information that will hopefully be helpful to listeners, but B, I want to promote, you know, what what we do so that maybe somebody out there knows somebody else that knows somebody else that wants to use us. In this case, you know, I'm being very forthright about the fact that we had a uh, we had some difficulties and we had to cut back and we had to get smaller. And all of those things are, are not only something you generally hold up and are proud of. They're very difficult. And, and uh, you know, I think. I'm probably not the only person out there that's been through this as a business owner. And I just wanted to share some of, of you know, our experience and, and what we learned and what happened during that time. I think there's definitely a story worth, uh, I mean, worth sharing. I mean, I think a lot of agency owners uh, in the back of their minds have a desire to, to go onto that ro rocket ship. And so I think maybe what we can pull out of today over, over the next few minutes is, uh, is that a rocket ship that other people really want to get on? And, and what are the risks? And and, uh, and maybe what are some of the, the ways that they could do it smarter or better um, if they choose that direction for themselves? I do want to... Um, I want to understand the up. Let's talk about the up first, and then we'll, we'll kind of talk about the down. Um, three to 60 people in three years, that definitely does sound like a very fast-growing business. Was that just because of your history at Crispin Porter um, and being able to secure large accounts and having big accounts? Does that is that what kind of gave you the ticket to that ride, or was that part of the intention you had behind the starting the business with the you know three three dudes in a coffee shop? <laughs> well, you know, we really didn't know what we were doing. We were learning on the fly. We were hoping that some of the work we had done, you know, in, in our career previously would at least get us a conversation. So nobody was handing us their business because of what we did, but they would talk to us because of that. And, and so, you know, and, and then we would get in there and work our asses off and we had to deliver, we were in pitches, we were showing work. So we really had to earn our way there. And don't get me wrong, the rocket ride is great. And if you happen to be in a business or 
or in a situation where what you do times up great with what's happening out there in the world and you have a little bit of luck as well, you know, the ideal is you grow and grow and grow and potentially have a liquidity event and then you end up on a sailboat in the Caribbean, you know, or whatever, whatever your version of being done is. Um, for us, we didn't launch with that in mind, but as we grew and, and as we uh, piled on more business, um, you know, it was, it was a pretty fun ride and it was very exciting. It was very, you know, there was, there's an optimism and an infectious energy that comes with success. And so you can imagine all the people that are working there and the people that we're adding and there's new hires. And, and so it creates a momentum of its own and that rocket ride is, can be fabulous. So I'm not against that by any stretch. I'm not against growth. I think in most cases you're either shrinking or you're growing. It's, I don't, I don't think it's realistic to say, oh, we want to be a business of about this size. Cause that would be pleasant and easy to manage. And we'll just stop at that. Basically you're going to hustle and you're going to do what it takes to survive. And oftentimes that's going to involve growing if, if you're doing a good job. For the uninitiated can you give our listeners a quick background on Crispin Porter? Because I, I kind of mentioned that as part of your your rap sheet, and maybe that uh, is relevant. That experience of that company is relevant, and uh, I know a lot of people have heard of that agency, but I'm not sure everybody has. Um, what's what's so special about that as being a part of your uh, your history? Well, that you know, Crispin Porter and Bogusky in its heyday was widely regarded as the best advertising agency in in the business, and it wasn't because uh, they were making ads. It was because they were early to the party of disrupting media, of looking at digital and how digital can contribute, and and so I started there when there were about a hundred people. And it, it wasn't a very big shop. We didn't have any big clients. And then over the course of my tenure there, we won Cooper Mini um, or Mini Cooper more, more accurately. And that was the first car ever launched without television, by the way. But that was a big anthemic launch. And then went on to work on any number of big brands. Uh, you mentioned some of them in the upfront. So Ikea, uh, Miller, um, Volkswagen. And these things came with success. We got bigger and bigger brands. Um, and then for me, uh, Coke Zero was was you know probably the most famous thing that I got to work on right now it's fairly ubiquitous I think they changed the name now to you know uh, Coke no sugar or something to that effect. But at the time, um, Coca-Cola had had two monumental failures. They had uh, C2 and they had New Coke. And if any of your listeners remember those, they were huge flops. And so the bottlers and the retailers had wanted nothing to do with, quote unquote, the next mega brand from Coke. So the beverage industry press uh, predicted that Coke Zero would be off the shelves within six months. And uh, instead, we, we launched and we had double digit growth uh, every quarter over quarter for seven straight years. So that was a really fun thing to be a part of. So that's a lot of the work I did back at Crispin. And I know, you know, um, you know, what you do is digital in nature. And that was, you know, some of, uh, I'll just quickly, you know, uh, give you an example of how digital we were. Yes, we made ads and it was a very simple strategy. Coke Zero tastes more like Coke um, than Diet Coke. In fact, it tastes, you know, exactly like Coke. That was the premise. And we expressed that in, in advertising, but we also expressed it with a digital tool that used facial recognition technology. Um, you had to opt in. It was a Facebook app and it would look for people who looked like you. 
And, you know, we had, I think it was something like 30,000 people in the database when it actually started working. Before there were 30,000 people in the database, the matches were really pretty bad. When it hit 30, they were 30,000, they were eerily, frighteningly similar. So this thing would find your doppelganger and it would, uh, you know, you could send them a message that said, hey, it's cool. We look like each other. And, and it was tangential to the idea that, you know, Coke Zero tastes a lot like Coke. So that was the kind of work we were doing. And we had a lot of success. And uh, after being there for 10 years and working on every conceivable thing, I, I didn't feel challenged anymore. I felt, I felt very satisfied, very challenged in terms of, you know, what's the next thing they're going to ask me to work on. But every day I knew how to do 10 out of 10 things I was asked to do launching a business, launching my own shop. I knew how to do two out of 10 things. I was going to fuck up the other eight, but that was okay. Cause I would do better each time out. And that was invigorating, invigorating and exciting to me. So that's, that's kind of, you know, how we were, uh, uh, you know, that's my, my history at Crispin and then, and then, uh, jumping off to me. So you went from from uh, uh, not knowing how to run a business and uh, going from from three dudes in a coffee shop to sixty people. Um, what what would you say are some of the things that helped you to grow um, that fast and that quick? I mean, was it was it just the history of working with those types of big accounts? Was it um, you know the quality of the work, the team? I mean, is there any any kind of secrets on that rise that you think played? Uh, well into that uh, acceleration? You know, it was just, it, it was being, A, it was leveraging, you know, some of what we were to get opportunities, but it was really converting those opportunities. So, you know, it's being in the right place at the right time, but then it's, then it's uh, doing everything right to convert those opportunities. And so, you know, we would, we would have an opportunity to work with, uh, a new brand and they would ask us to do a project and we would crush that project. And then they would go, why aren't you our agency of record? We should hire you as our agency of record. Um, here's the part of that rise where I think we started to do things wrong. We were wrapped up in this idea of just, we are on this rocket ride. Let's pile on the business. Let's pile on, you know, the bodies. And we really were throwing bodies at um, business. And when you have a, a meteoric rise like that, it is very difficult to build a culture at that same pace. So we had a very small kernel of people that understood what the agency was, how it worked, why we did what we did, how we got there. When we got all that additional business, we just needed FTPs, full-time, uh, uh, you know, or I'm sorry, FTEs, full-time employees is the jargon that goes in a scope of work. And so all of a sudden now we've got all this work. We're just trying to get bodies in here as fast as we can. And we got some good people. We got some people that weren't so good. And so we began to build this organization that was not necessarily a manifestation of who we were, why we launched, what we were good at. It was built around business, and some of that business we weren't being uh, we weren't being discerning and deciding is this right for us. Anything was right for us, you know. As long as they uh, potentially were going to make work that that we thought was good work, we would we would. Uh, begin to work with them. We didn't ask ourselves harder questions about what's the nature of this client? Um, what's Where does this go? What might happen? Um, and as it turns out, uh, that ended up biting us in the ass um, uh, long term. 
Would you say there was a, a, a moment uh, that you can recall that it was kind of an uh-oh moment? I just imagine, uh, you know, I've, I've used the analogy a lot of, you know, running a business is kind of like riding a, a roller coaster. And, and, and there's the exciting, the anticipation part of kind of going up the roller coaster. And then there's that moment when you're at the top and you're like, uh, uh, what, what have we done, <laughs> right? What, what, what are we about to go through, right? That, that, that moment yeah. right before the downswing. Was, was that something where the, you can remember there was like one pivotal time where there was a big decision or a kind of a, a realization? Or was it more of a, you know, a slow boil? I'll give you a, a great example because, you know, I've always been a proponent of taking responsibility. Don't blame outside forces for things that are happening to you. Yes, they are responsible sometimes or they contribute, but there's a responsibility uh, on your end as well. And so, you know, throughout my career, if I was involved with a piece of business that, you know, went away, that we lost, it was always a failure on some level. So, and I still believe that, but I remember in particular, Lyft was a fantastic uh, brand, a fantastic client. Um, they work with Wyden and Kennedy now, who's, you know, arguably the best, you know, advertising agent in the world. I have nothing but respect for those guys. Um, but uh, uh, when we look at our interaction with Lyft, we were able to take them from, you know, from a brand perspective, this kind of quirky also ran in the ride hailing category that most people had never heard of to a recognized household name with a very elevated design driven uh, brand and and we were able to triple rides during our year of working with them. So you cannot hit it out of the park harder than we did in our interaction with Lyft. Here's what happens, though. The CMO, um, Kira Wempler, who's a fantastic uh, CMO, um, is offered a CEO job uh, at art.com. And so this represents a great opportunity for her. So she leaves the CMO position. Now, if you do a shitty job, the CMO gets fired and you're partly to blame. And then you, the agency, you know, almost never survives a change in CMO. So in this case, we did well enough that the, the CMO was headhunted out of Lyft and ends up at, uh, at, you know, as the CEO somewhere else, but you face the same situation where the new CMO comes in, you're not their agency. The first thing they're going to do is make a change there. So, you know, we lose that piece of business. And that was a moment for me where I realized, man, it is, you know, there is, there is a lot of turnover in that position that determines, do we work with a brand or do we not work with a brand? And when I looked back and said, what could we do differently? It was nothing. And so that's when I realized there are shifting sands in our industry. This may not be the case in, in some of the industries that your other businesses are involved in, but I'm guessing it is in many. And there's nothing that we can do about that. So that was a, an aha moment when I realized, as I mentioned, we had thrown all these bodies of business. So we have this you know, this teetering amalgam of 60 people that's based on all of this uh, very new business. And this business is anything but um, solid in terms of we can count on it for five or 10 years. In fact, that doesn't really even exist in our industry anymore. So that was my aha uh -huh moment of, wow, we're, we're more vulnerable than I've ever realized. And it doesn't matter if we do a good job or if we maybe don't meet our goals, we're still going to be vulnerable. I, you know, I almost—it's it, almost comedic. Like, if you do a bad job, you lose the business. If you do a great job, you potentially lose the business because, <laughs> you know, whoever you're working with gets promoted, or you know, or there. I mean, I think that that's the nature too of 
careers now. I mean, people talk about how, you know, people just aren't at, you know, this, this idea that you graduate college or you finish high school or, uh, some kind of apprenticeship and you're at the same company for 50 years and then you, you know, collect social security. I mean, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and that affects how you think about designing your agency. I mean, I can imagine if you had, sounds like you had a lot of people on the Lyft account. One day you wake up, that's no longer there. So what yeah. do you do with those people? I mean, right. And there's a really simple answer, and it's not the answer that you want to do, which is you fire them. And and so you know, it, we try not to tie our people to specific accounts, but inevitably there is that math of you have this much coming in, you have this much going out, you got to make a change. And so you know, um, we had a couple of things like that happen. Another example with a digital piece of work, which was another one of those like, how do you prevent that from happening? And there are all kinds of headwinds in, in our industry, but we built an app for Copper Mountain and it was really pretty cool. What it did was it, it, uh, it allowed their administration to drop pins all over the mountain to blanket the mountain with these pins. And then when a skier with the app would go through those pins, they would get information delivered uh, via audio through their headphones. Most people ski with headphones in these days. Most ski helmets and snowboard helmets come equipped, you know, with headphones or a place to put headphones. And so it was really cool. Um, you could give navigational information like go left to get to the base, go right to do this. You could Easter egg prizes and we would we would put season passes in the woods and people could you know ski in there and see if they could find one. It was a really cool app. It won uh, best, you know, uh, technology in the ski industry, which is which is impressive because you're going against a, a much more well-funded Vail that has their RFID technology and, and, and their whole Epic Mix, which is a cool app. Um, and and what happens is uh, uh, and this was for Copper Mountain and and uh, Copper. I, I don't know if I mentioned that, but Copper gets bought by Powder, which is which owns uh, several, you know, a half dozen or more. Uh, ski areas in California and some others. And because they already have a legacy app, um, they, they decommissioned the app. And so, and that was an ongoing business uh, interaction where we would make updates. We had a suggestion engine that said, Hey, you've skied these runs. You'll probably like this run. It did all kinds of cool stuff. So again, another, another moment where you're like, wow, there's volatility here that is beyond our control. What do we do? And the phrase that you just used, which is building the agency, you know, to the, to the pressures of the market. That's what we didn't do. We built the agency on the more immediate situation of what clients are we working with? And if I could go back in time, that's where we made our, our biggest mistake. You mentioned the solution is to, to fire them. Uh, was that a decision that you ultimately made quickly the first time around or no. were you kind of no. thinking, Hey, we're going to find that next big fish and we'll, you know, <laughs> keep these FTEs for, for that next big fish and we'll be okay. We did not. And that's another learning. I got to tell you, you know, we tried so hard, it, it, a good business, uh, you know, you hear it's oh, it's like a family. And man, I would always call bullshit on that. And I still would be wary of that. Um, families don't fire each other. You know, you don't fire your family. But um, the way that we looked at that is let's, you know, let's make some irrational financial decisions on behalf of our people when we can. That turned out to be a mistake, to be honest with you. We, we kept too many people for too long. 
And so, and it was because we just, what you said, we'll find something else. We'll get that next big fish. Well, you are, you are potentially, you know, risking a, a mortal wound to your organization when you do that. And that was a learning for me. I'm a softy and there was nothing worse than looking somebody in the eye and, and that had been doing a great job. That's the worst part. And saying, look, there's nothing you could do differently. We just can't afford to keep you around anymore. That is one of the worst conversations, unless you're a sociopath that you will ever have. And I had many conversations like that. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the question you ask yourself is not, you know, why did this happen? I mean, you could sit there and think about that all day. It's how do we potentially prevent this from happening again? And, and, uh, and one answer is um, looking for the right kinds of business and maybe having the discipline to say no when there's money on the table, but it's not going to be good for you. And the other answer is to ask yourself, what are you good at? What does this agency do? And then hiring people that are really a, a manifestation of that so that it's not a person that's here to work on, you know, X or, or, or Y that is an external factor. It's a person that is very fluent in your core capability and they're going to be good at anything that comes in. You mentioned since your your peak, you're about half the size you once yep. were around 30 yep. or so. Uh, so what, I mean, and, and these are some of the things that, that you've mentioned, right? Going after the right business, uh, saying no, hiring people for their core competency. Uh, are you more, um, stable as a company now than you were kind of through that growth trajectory? I mean, are you finding that if you lose an account, you're having to, you know, shed a certain amount of people or have you found kind of a better mix and flow now that you've been through that up and down? We, we have become probably the best version. And I, I promise you, this is not me, you know, going all rah, rah on you. We have become the best version of what we are. I laugh and I tell people when we were this size on the way up, we were pretty terrible compared to what we are now. Um, and, and part of that is that a lot of these people have been through these ups and downs and, and they went through all of the, all of the, the wins and they went through the hard part as well. And they're not only good at what they do, they're resilient. So I, I often refer to it as like, we've all been heat treated, you know, we've been, we've been in the, <laughs> in the, and so we're a lot stronger, but I think what happens is number one, um, and this is one of the benefits if there, you know, if there's a downside, there's an obvious downside to letting people go. I mean, you feel like you're Darth Vader, you know, and, and you, you get to wreck, uh, people's day and you get to, you get to watch them walk out, you know, crying or upset or scared or all of the above. And there is nothing worse, you know? Um, and I have gone out and tried to, uh, I'm an AA, uh, I've been, I haven't drank in 16 years and, uh, but I went out Thank you. After the first round of layoffs I ever did, I went out and I ate a pepperoni pizza. I bought like a like a nine hundred dollar snowboard, and I did one other thing. It might have been like Ben and Jerry's or something. And none of it. The pizza tasted like sawdust. The 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 snowboard just made me feel guilty. The whole thing was. There is no way to feel better about that kind of thing. The plus side, if there is a silver lining, is you really have to ask yourself when it's time to pare yourself down, you have to ask yourself who is the spine of this organization who makes this place go. And you'll know it, you'll know it because you have to know it. And by whittling down to those people, um, number one is you understand what 
any new people you hire should look like. And number two is you're very judicious about making new hires because you don't want to go through this again. So how much can you do with who you have with that core team? And then, you know, for us in our business, a question then becomes when you do scale, hey, do you do a little bit more freelance than you were thinking about doing? I will tell you that back in the day, I was an enemy of freelance, or, or at least a, I was one of the detractors when it came to, is freelance valuable? I thought- In was, terms uh, of leveraging freelancers for your agency? Yes, exactly. You know, back in the heyday of Crispin, you would have never seen a freelancer walking around there. And it was all because it was a cult. It was a culture. It was a, you know, the thinking was like, you never know how to do what we do unless you live this every day. So, you know, that runs contrary to bringing in freelance help. Um, what we decided early on was we were going to work that same way. So we used very little freelance. Now, um, I would say that the key is to still have that core of people, you know, and there's two ways that you can build an advertising agency these days, in my opinion, if you want to simplify it. One is you have a giant agency with all those bodies I talked about. Hopefully there's a holding company that owns you and, you know, you can you can weather some some ups and downs. But it's inefficient and it's it's not going to be a model that I think survives. The other uh, side of it is you you're you're one or two people. You think of a goofy name, hey, Door Jam, you know, we're, we're an agency. And really, are you, all you are is a couple of freelancers, and you're going you're gonna, to um, partner up with seven or eight other freelancers and attack projects. I don't believe in that either because you have no culture. You have no voice. You, have, you just have a bunch of, you know, this amorphous group of people that come together to make shit. So what's in the middle of that? And that's what we've started to look at. And what's in the middle of it is having a culture, having a point of view, having this kernel of excellence that can grow, but you're very judicious about growing it. And then when you do get, you know, spillover in terms of, you know, you need more bandwidth, then you maybe augment with some freelance. That's the kind of thing we're doing differently these days. But that what's essential to it is having that core of people. And it's very difficult to retain people when, you, when you've been through a downturn because they're scared and they're demoralized. And that is a challenge. Is there anything that you did during that down that downswing? I mean, I can just imagine for our listeners if they if they have uh, yet to go through that type of a, a downturn, or maybe they're in the middle of it. Uh, any any words of wisdom of once you've identified those that, that what you call the spine team or the spine of the company, those core essential team members? Uh, if they start to see people being jettisoned out the sides of the business, uh, yep. I mean, what what did you guys do, if anything, to keep those people engaged and excited about continuing to work with the company? That's a great question, and and what I can tell you not to do, and what is I've been, you know, again, I was at I was at Crispin when it went up to fourteen hundred people, and I saw some layoffs from that point, and I left really before it it had. Uh, been through its difficult times. And I think it's now at a, in a place where it's coming back. But but uh, what what not to do is to try to pump people up with a bunch of raw, raw bullshit or try to spin things or try to say, hey, look, this was this was a bummer. But really, it's actually a good thing. And here's why, because people read right through that. What you want to do is just be very, in my opinion, is to be very frank with people and say, number one, on the day of, it's like, this sucked, right? We said goodbye to some of our best friends and there's no way to spin that in a positive manner. So the first thing you do is you're honest with people. I think, um, you know, the second thing you do 
is you're transparent, you know, and that can be very difficult too, um, where you say, these are the, this is why we're here. Um, and this is, this is how we, how we address it. And you may not have all the answers. Odds are the first time you go through a downturn or you get, have a setback, you're not going to have the answer. So don't expect to sit down with everybody and, and say, look, this happened, but here's how we can ensure that it's never going to happen again. Maybe what you say is we can't, we can't guarantee that it won't happen again, but we're going to do everything in our power, you know, to, to keep on going. And so, um, we went through a few of those and I was very, you know, I had been in some ones where that, that, that Chris been towards the end there where they were a little bit rah, rah about, about a, a pretty bad situation. And I remember thinking, uh, this is, you're just, you're just trying to, you know, uh, make this, seem better with, with rationalizations. And I'd never wanted to do that to people. So it, it's being honest with them, but I got to tell you, like the, the building back the morale is, is not something you can manufacture. And that's probably going to be the hardest thing. And we've gotten that back. And the way, the only way to get it back is progress. And, and for us, progress is winning new business progress is, you know, we've just started working with California pizza kitchen. And that's, that's a cool, you know, if you think about, you know, the casual dining category and they almost don't really fit in there, that's, you know, uh, a lot different than like a cheesecake factory or a Friday's and they've really never done a lot of advertising. So it's, it's a fun brand to play with. But my point in bringing that up is, you know, the only way that we got people to start feeling good again was by winning. And the only way we got back to winning was by working hard. If there's an answer, in my opinion, to what you do when people are beat down, it's figure out something for them to do. If there's new business to attack, attack the new business. As soon as people are working, they're too busy doing what they have to do to worry about the, the existential questions of whether they'll have a job. And hopefully some of that hard work pays off in a little bit of traction. And you don't have to immediately get back to where you were before. As soon as you start to show progress, they can see that it's possible to start making headway again and they get fired up. Um, so, you know, uh, hopefully I know that was a lot of rambling, but hopefully that, uh, that partially answers your question. And it's a brilliant segue into getting excited about hearing your keynote uh, here in a, a week or so at U Summit. I'm, I'm excited based on everything I've heard today, uh, the <laughs> stories that you're sharing from the trenches, some of the big name brand accounts. Um, I think being open and vulnerable and talking about some of this back of the house stuff is exactly what our listeners and our attendees at U Summit are going to be um, thirsty for. So I just want to thank you for that. Um, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. Dave, are you ready for our lightning round? I know, which is why <laughs> hopefully it'll be interesting because I can tell you right now in full transparency, I've done no uh, homework. I don't know what these questions are. So there's a very good chance. I'm not, re I'm not a terribly intelligent guy. So there's a really good chance every one of these will catch me off guard and you'll get a <laughs> awkward silence. There, um, <laughs> you know, I could... <laughs> I could throw in some 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 extra lightning round here that are a little spicier, but they're 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 pretty vanilla in terms of lightning round. But we like to ask them because I find that it's it's a good way to uh, to give our our listeners a few more pieces of succinct advice. Uh, speaking sure. of advice, the first question is: What is the best advice you've ever received? I will tell you, it was from my dad, and and uh, you know. I, when I first was asked to be a creative director at Crispin, um, and maybe this is relevant to new business owners, because I think there's nothing like, you know, launching a business to make you feel out of your depth. Um, 
I just felt like an imposter. I felt like I was not qualified to do my job. No matter how hard I worked, I was not going to succeed. So I called my dad, who I've had a tenuous relationship over the years with. And I said, man, look, I haven't done this a lot, um, but I'm, I'm using one of my advice cards. Like, I need something. Help me out here. What do I do? And I told him, I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And he said, let me tell you something. You do the best you can. And if that's, if that's not good enough for them, then fuck them and fuck everyone around them. <clears throat> now, uh, I, re I realize that that is highly profane, and I apologize to your listeners for the language, but I have since passed that piece of advice on to many people because at its essence, what it says is, look, do the best you can, and that's all you can do. And that's what I needed to hear. That's exactly what I needed to hear at the time. So that is very broad, but I, I believe in it to this day, and that's all you can do is so you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes, but there's a reason that you're in a position where there's pressure on you. It's because you're talented or smart or ambitious or all of the above. And so believe in yourself. And if, if what you bring to the table isn't good enough, then the heck with it. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Oh man, I can think of many that have detracted from my success, <laughs> like like being unorganized and procrastinating. I think it would be um, at times I'm capable of being fearless, and I don't mean that in, in a in a. What I mean is oftentimes um, I think the part of us that launches a business that is entrepreneurial, that is uh, uh, ambitious. Um, tends to tighten up when it gets real, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you're actually working for someone or you're, you're playing with someone else's money or, you know, all of the above, there's a metric that's being put on your success. Don't lose that part of you that launched the business in the first place. Don't do things out of fear or reactively. It's very difficult to do this, but be crazy, be, uh, um, and I don't mean go off willy nilly, have a strategy, have, but don't, don't be afraid because you're never going to do anything, uh, that has an impact out of fear. Can you share an internet resource or a tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? <laughs> um, I gotta tell you, this is going to be the dorkiest thing ever. Um, but I find it fascinating and I became over the course of my life, a birder, uh, a, a bird watcher. And it's to my own chagrin. Like I've never been more embarrassed about something um, than the fact that I like identifying and logging birds. But here's the deal, right? One of the, you hear about big data all the time and, and oftentimes it's just being used to monetize your behavior. And this is a case where I find a very compelling example of, of, you know, um, I get access to that big data and it, and it does things for me. So Cornell has an app called eBird and they have a pretty cool digital ecosystem. It has an app that helps identify things as well. But what eBird does is, and this thing is, there are millions of people all over the world logging every bird they see. I have to pay, I think it's like 20 bucks to get access to that information. So when I log birds, it's helping them learn about things. And there have been New York Times articles about discoveries that have been made through eBird about migratory patterns, et cetera. But at the same time, I can look at that same data that the scientists are looking at and it'll be like, oh, 
hey, there's a snowy owl over here and it's not supposed to be over here. And if I go drive there right now into this random field, I can see this bird that I never would normally see unless I went to the Arctic Circle. So to me, that's a fascinating use of big data being gathered, but also big data being offered as a two-way street. Um, and, and I know that's super nerdy and dorky and I don't expect anyone to um, be able to do anything with that for <laughs> perspective. But I would say that I, I love things where the data that is gathered is then used to uh, benefit uh, consumers. And so, you know, there's so many different plays there. I mentioned, you know, with copper, we created an app and the intention was never to have a suggestion engine, you know, for runs, but that's where we ended up with, we have all this data. Hey, if you liked this run and this run, why not go over and try this one? People are discovering more of the mountain um, and all of a sudden uh, they're having a better uh, experience. So those kinds of things fascinate me. And finally, what book would you recommend and why? Mm. I would recommend, man, for a business owner, I'm going to say Catch-22. Um, and it's got nothing to do with business. And But it is, I think that the ability to laugh in the face of disaster is probably the most valuable thing someone at the helm of a business can have. Um, there's lots of research that says, you know, when people are out in the wild and or stuck in a bad situation and they're able to, to uh, laugh or, or, you know, at least make light of it, those are the people that survive. I think the same holds true for businesses. Catch-22 is probably the most... Uh, uh, eloquent and and beautiful expression of laughter in the face of absurdly deadly circumstances, um, and so that would be my <laughs> that would be my reco is read that and then take it to heart and then uh, just know that you're going to have setbacks. You're going to have uh, every single day that you get out of bed, you're going to have challenges, um, both existential and immediate. And if you are able to keep a sense of humor in those circumstances, you're going to, you're going to have a much better chance of succeeding. We will link out to um, those, uh, the tools and uh, also share your quotes and some of the key takeaways in our show notes uh, for this episode, as well as a link out to Catch-22. Definitely recommend that book. Uh, it's been a couple of, uh, maybe a decade and a half since I read it personally, but thanks for bringing that up. It's first time it's come into the digital agency show, so appreciate you on that one, Dave. How can our audience uh, find out more about you and your company? Uh, if you go to our website, it's heymade.com. You can see uh, a lot of the work that we've done. Um, and, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, the resources are there, uh, to do so. Uh, I am happy to engage with anybody, uh, you know, beyond that, if, if there is somebody that wants to communicate on just, you know, the ups and downs of running a business, I am, uh, D Schiff, S C H I F F at mademovement.com. Uh, and I am happy to share any information, uh, anecdotal or otherwise that might help you. Um, I'm not delusional enough to think that I have all the answers, but certainly happy to share some of the experience we've had. Dave, thank you so much for hanging out with us on the show today. Um, if you all enjoyed Dave's uh, interview today, make sure to um, uh, sign up for you Summit, September 28th, 28th, and 30th. Dave's going to be speaking uh, on day three, sharing uh, more stories from the trenches. Dave, thank you for uh, stopping by the program today. Absolutely. It was a pleasure um, and look forward to the Summit. 
Likewise, we are definitely very excited and, and very excited to introduce you to our community. Uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, again, coming up here September 28th, 29th, and 30th here in Denver, Colorado. Um, Dave, this has been a fantastic program. Our listeners, I'm sure, have taken a lot from this. Appreciate the vulnerability. Um, <laughs> if you guys want to uh, check out the, the recap of the episode, go to yougurus.com forward slash podcast. If you want to check out uh, information about U-Summit, yougurus.com forward slash you summit uh would love to have you out here uh for our event here coming up uh that is our program for this week stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in your business and life until next time i'm brent weaver thanks again for tuning in to the digital agency show before we close out i wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode Are you stressed out, cash crunched, fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem. Maybe that it's the area you live in or that this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around. And I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now, it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or a mobile app when they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge is blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a strategy call where we're going to dig into those underlying issues in your business and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your YouGurus strategy call today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show. 